Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Well, hello, everybody. So today we are going to be continuing with our call time set review. Uh, we've got some exciting new legends, a lot of new cards that are likely to make it into the main deck of Commander decks. We want to get right into that. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, uh, before we jump into the cards newly spoiled in the last week, I just want to give a shout out to some listeners who uh, let us know about interesting new ways to use the cards that we talked about last week. So the first is going to be coming to us from Alex Whiteclay, friend of the show. Uh, he mentioned that Goldspan Dragon, which is 3RR44 for a flying haste dragon. When it attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token. Treasures you control have tap, sacrifice this artifact, add two mana of any one color. So Alex mentioned that Goldspan Dragon works really, really well in a Feather the Redeemed deck. Because with Feather, you can just target the Goldspan Dragon with all your your little uh, combat tricks. Um, Feather is going to return them to your hand. The Goldspan Dragon will generate mana. So you can either be mana neutral or gain mana, depending on like how many spells you're casting, how many treasures you're accruing throughout these turns. That one seems insane. <laughs> yeah, that one seems very good. So thank you, Alex, for that little piece of tech. Uh, and then another comes to us from Aubrey. So Aubrey mentioned that the Trickster God's Heist works really well in Amina 2. So the Trickster God's Heist is two blue-black for a saga. The first chapter is you may exchange control of two target creatures. The second chapter is you may exchange control of two target non-basic non-creature permanents that share a card type. And the third chapter is target player loses three life and you gain three life. So Aubrey mentioned that uh, not only can Amina 2 get back whatever creature you exchange because she's able to blink permanents that you own, Amina 2 is also able to blink the Trickster God's heist and sort of reset it so you can just constantly go through this cycle where you're exchanging control of permanents or exchanging control of creatures, getting them back, and resetting the, the heist. So that's a really neat interaction, and thank you for sharing that with us, Aubrey. With that, I think we can move on to this week's spoils. Uh, we're going to start with the legendary creatures, and then we'll move on to the main deck cards. Why don't you start us off? What's the uh, first card we're going to be talking about today yeah so we're gonna get into the legends and we got a white legend spoiled so it is a god so it is a modal double face card so the front side is raydane god of justice they are a two three god for three mana two and a white they have flying vigilance and snowlands your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped they also have non-creature spells your opponents cast with converted mana cost four or more cost two generic more to cast on the back side is raydane's shield which is a legendary artifact it costs three and a white so four mana if a source an opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control prevent one of that damage whenever you or a permanent you control become the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one so we we did it everyone we got our anti-snow card for this the set right yeah do you think the existence of raydane is going to make it incorrect to play snow lands in oh no no not at all this is like just not pushed anywhere near enough and and it's also 
monocolor uh it, on, it only affects snowlands like the turn you play them so like there's a little bit of tempo disadvantage and this is a legendary creature so yes it's mono double face so you don't necessarily get punished for having four in your deck but I, this is just not not it this also doesn't like synergize with things very well it like does protect your board technically so if it's not your commander either side are kind of defensive some way but i i just don't think i'm going to jam like a raiden in any white list if that makes sense like it just mm-hmm. doesn't seem like it's doing enough to counter snow strategies yeah and also there's this like uncomfortable tension where while it's going to be correct to run snow i think a lot of people still aren't going to do it just because of the added cost and because like there's less variety in the arts and you know people are really connected to the basics that they've chosen they've printed things like the uh the guild kit lands or like guru lands there's just so many different ways to pimp out your mana base that aren't snow so i i think that a lot of people are going to be reluctant to make the switch to snow in in which case like ray dane just does less like yeah it can hose the the spikier people who want to grind every edge and get the advantage of running snow but against a I think against a lot of people, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, as we get further into this episode and talk about more of the snow cards, they didn't really print anything that was like too crazy. They printed some good snow rewards or rewards for playing snow, good cards that you can put in your your decks, but they didn't put anything in that like was so over the top that I think it's going to make it really hard to convince people that snow is bad because in the same way that like the modal double face lands we kind of saw people not putting them into their list unless a the front side was like really sexy Mm -hmm. or b the front side worked with their strategy that has tended to be the case with the modal double face lands even though you probably should just put a fight spell instead of a forest most of the time something like that yeah like there's no problem having a fling in a list to like get the last five points of damage out instead of a mountain you know like these are things that you you could do it doesn't cost you a card slot but people just weren't doing them because it wasn't super fun and people weren't like optimizing in in the spikiest of ways yeah. that's i think what's going to happen with snow I, I think that's a really great point of comparison like both of them are really subtle advantages it might may not be obvious on its surface like why you should make this change but yeah and i think it is in both cases like correct as you said to include the modal double faced cards over lands and to include snow basics over whatever you're currently running Mm -hmm. and this isn't even just to say like the the snow duels like those are going to be played in a lot of lists now too which if you're playing some snow duels in like a five color three color list like you might be pushed to play more snow cards and we're going to talk about some of the snow commanders in this episode that lands kind of becomes the best thing to do with them so it, it just seems like once you kind of fall down the snow the 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 cliffside you kind of are stuck going further and further down it and the synergies just keep kind of happening and raiding just does not do enough to punish that or stop people from doing it and and then again i think it's going to be hard to make the case that snow is bad now because things aren't pushed to all hell they just are pushed so you're going to have people that are like well it's not really impacting my life and you're not going to be able to convince them like well Overall, this is bad for the game because mm. there are people who this is negatively impacting their play experience. 
Yeah, and it's, and it's unfortunate that ninety nine percent of sets are going to be using like basic lands that are just inferior to to the ones we're getting in Kaldheim. So I mean, it's another reason to want to go back to Kaldheim. Like I, I actually have really enjoyed this set, what it's doing. A lot of the cards, I, I feel like a lot of these commanders are really fun, especially like some of the uncommon ones. So I, I, I do hope we go back. We'll probably get more snow if we do go back. Hopefully. The Phyrexians won't have completely corrupted the plane, yeah. so we actually get some some call time goodness. But um, uh, I guess if we want to cut back to actually talking about raiding, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, do, do there's there's some points to make about it and some tech for it. Or uh, but I think uh, do you want to kind of get into to that before we move on? Sure, I, I would just say that like if you're looking to play raiding as a commander, I think that. The, the most powerful ability on either side of this card is the non-creature spells your opponents cast with converted mana cost four or more cost two more to cast. That's a pretty hefty tax on your opponents. And of course, like four or more to me, that implies like board wipes. And so it's like a good way to protect yourself from board wipes or of course, just other scary things like extra turn effects, etc. But that ability is just so completely outclassed by what Gaddock Teague does, which yeah. is just completely preventing your opponents from casting, or all players from casting non-creature spells with converted mana cost four or greater. So I think that like if you really want to play Raidane and like hamper your opponents from casting these expensive spells, you probably ought to just be playing Gaddock Teague instead. It's cheaper, it's a more effective hoser, and it gives you access to a, a a really good color identity i think it's kind of a shame because i think that this card as a whole like both sides are like not bad like raiding isn't actively a bad card it's just kind of outclassed and that that's kind of sad so mm-hmm. sad that the the only snow hoser that we're gonna get is kind of a uh weaker than other commanders we got commander <laughs> yeah but there is a lot more commanders in this set. Do we want to get on to some of these guys? Yes. Uh, so this next one is Cosima, God of the Voyage. Uh, she's a double-faced god, so her her front fa- her front half is Cosima, two and a blue for a 2-4 legendary creature god. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may exile Cosima. If you do, it gains whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control. If Cosima is exiled, you may put a voyage counter on it. If you don't, return Cosima to the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it and draw X cards, where X is the number of voyage counters on it. And her reverse half is the Omen Keel, which is one in a blue for a legendary artifact vehicle. It's a 3-3 with crew one. And whenever a vehicle you control deals combat damage to a player, that player exiles that many cards from the top of their library. You may play lands from among those cards for as long as they remain exiled. So the the front half of this card is very strange to me. I Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It's flavorful but actionable question mark. Yeah, but unfortunately like if you're in a blue color identity, you just don't have a lot of great options for for creating landfall triggers. You've got your dreamscape artist and then that's kind of it. Yeah, you got like um, burnished heart and then uh <laughs> it's getting pretty pretty steep after that yeah yeah. so i i don't think that like building around the front half is super interesting especially because like you have to wait so so long for the payoff and yeah it it just you know in in 
several turns i'll draw five cards and have like a seven nine uh that's not as compelling as the other half i think which affects kind of what you're doing every single turn of the game so the reverse half like when i first saw it i was like hmm vehicle tribal but then i like built the deck and what i found was that the vehicle density doesn't actually need to be that high honestly like the list i'm running probably runs too many vehicles because even though you know you can exile more and more cards the more vehicles you're connecting with you're only able to make use of one of those cards per turn so there's just like diminishing returns once you have like five lands stacked up in exile additional hits like barely even matter because you've got your your next five turns mapped out but i i think that There's a couple interesting pieces of tech that work really well with this strategy. So one of them, probably like the best card in the deck, is Oblivion Sower. So Oblivion Sower is uh, six mana for a 5-8 creature Eldrazi. When you cast it, target opponent exiles the top four cards of their library. Then you may put any number of land cards that player owns from exile onto the battlefield under your control. So if you're using the Omen Keel and your other vehicles and like exiling tons of cards off of somebody's library, then you can just like, rather than playing a single one per turn with the Omen Keel, you can just cast Oblivion Sower and then you'll be able to get all of those lands straight onto the battlefield under your control. So that seems pretty good. Another benefit to this list is because you're, you know, starting on like turn three, you're pretty much just playing your opponent's lands every single turn. So every land of your own that you draw is, um, you know, you're not going to be playing it. So there's a lot of things you can do with it. You can use like a walking atlas or a scare tiller or a terrain generator to drop that land onto the battlefield and just like accelerate yourself. You can also just discard it for value because you're you're unlikely to be playing these lands out of your hand. So uh, trade routes seems really good here, which is uh, one in a blue for an enchantment. You can pay one to return target land you control to its owner's hand and pay one and discard a land card to draw a card. So that's a a great way to just like churn, like turn those useless lands in your hand into valuable cards. There's also just plenty of looting effects in mono blue. Also want to point out that I really like just all these blue dorks that work really well with artifact spells. Mm hmm. So like Chief Engineer, which is like two cost, one, three artifact spells you cast have Convoke. Um, Ethereum Sculptor, one in a blue for one, two artifact creature, Vidalcan Artificer. Artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. Foundry Inspector, Grand Architect, uh, Renowned Weaponsmith, and uh, Vidalcan Engineer. All of these like little artifact loving dorks are good for helping you power out your vehicles and also just crewing at the very least, they've got enough power to crew the Omen Keel. And it's not wrong to like sometimes use the Omen Keel to just crew something bigger and better. Like I have, you know, put my boat onto Sky Sovereign in order to turn it <laughs> sideways. And that's usually correct. You hit on a lot of points here. I think that if you are going to build around like Cosima on the front side, you're going to be running a lot of Patron of the Moon tech. But a lot of the tech for Patron of the Moon is good in Cosima too like the trade routes is something that's like kind of end game for patron of the moon like to draw onto usually a combo or something like that and i don't think it's wrong to have like a wayfarer's bobble or something in that instance too and the walking atlas and stuff so i think overall 
this list, uh, especially the fact that you get to build with vehicles in a way that's not as parasitic as, say, like Dapala, where like if you don't just jam as many dwarves and vehicles into your list as possible, then you're just you, going to miss on our ability all the time. Exactly. This is a very cool, very different way of putting vehicles into a list because all of a sudden you really only need one to really get moving and get your strategy going and it starts pretty early so i just i think this is a really awesome deck i think it lets you play with some really cool cards and yeah there's just a ton of vehicles in my collection that i just have been staring at for years now and finally i'm gonna get to play with them <laughs> yeah it's so crazy that like heart of kieran was once 40 dollars and is now 62 cents so yeah you can actually use it these days yeah it's really funny I just want to mention like two more little little nuggets of information about this deck before we move on. One is that uh, I really like man lands in this deck. So like Blink Moth Nexus, Ink Moth Nexus, Mishra's Factory, Mutavault. Um, all of these like are pretty. It's not a huge cost to running them because so many of the important cards in this deck are just like you know artifacts. Um, so like the colorless sources don't hamper you that much, but they are great at just like crewing vehicles without costing you a card and then i also want to point out like forbid is really really sweet in this deck because you have all of those lands in your hand that you aren't going to play so it's just like easy fodder for um buying back forbid and just like constantly countering the biggest threats something else of note with this list is like how easy it is to just have turns where you're like evacuation like Fairy Conclave is here now, crew the Omen Keel, get in there, crew like some other vehicle and get in there. Um, like the fact that a lot of your threats dodge a lot of removal and uh, other interaction that people have is awesome. <laughs> that's yeah. that's like, a, I think a really cool like piece of this list is that someone rats and you go, all right, and you yeah. just start your turn anyway. <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah, I love that about this list. So we're going to be posting this list in the uh, episode description. So go ahead and check that out if you're interested. All right. Uh, I think we can move on to the next commander. Do you want to read this guy off? Yes. We, I think both of us don't have much to say about it. But this is Egon, God of Death, uh, a modal double-faced god. So the front half is a 6-6 six, six death touch for two and a black, so three mana. But they have the ability at the beginning of your upkeep, exile two cards from your graveyard if you can't sacrifice Egon and draw a card. The back half is Throne of Death. It's a one mana legendary artifact, so it just costs one black. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. Two black tap, exile a creature card from your graveyard, draw a card. So I'm just going to say, this is not really a commander card. I don't really care that my 6-6 death touch has a drawback. Like, I do understand that you could build around this, and you could fill up your graveyard and feed Egon and get in there but there's there's a lot of voltron lists and i'm not super interested in this i think throne of death might be played in some lists just because it just sits there doesn't really get interacted with it's not really that scary of a permanent just kind of you just mill one every turn but even then there's like better things to do with your mana yeah i'm just not super high on this guy i I don't think he's a terrible card but i don't think i'm gonna be running him anytime soon yeah, this seems like it's really aimed at standard where a three mana 6-6 six, six death touch is uh, a lot scarier. But in our format, I just don't think like a beat stick with a drawback is really compelling as a commander. 
So I, I would leave him in the binder. But I think that brings us to our next commander. This is a <laughs> a, a funny guy. This is Arnie Brokenbrow. This is a 3-3 human berserker for two and a red, so three CMC. Arnie has haste, and Arnie has a boast ability. One, you may change Arnie Brokenbrow's base power to one plus the greatest power among other creatures you control until end of turn. So, um, to like explain how that works, you attack with Arnie, and let's say you have a Malignus on the battlefield. You pay one, and Arnie's power becomes Malignus's power plus one. So let's say someone's at 40, Arnie will become a 21-3. Pretty simple when you look at it that way. Pretty simple when you think about it. But man, this really, I'm just, I'm getting deja vu. Like, Nick, can you, can you tell me, did we see something like this already? I feel like we have. Yeah, it's just, I feel like it was like a fever dream. There's just a lot going on. Maybe, maybe it had another color. Maybe it was. <laughs> maybe they just figured that like. There was so there were so many different legends in Commander Legends that we might just forget about some of them, and they could reuse some of those designs. <laughs> because uh, this is basically the same thing as Tuya. So Tuya Bearclaw is a two-two for three, one red green. They're human, and they have whenever Tuya attacks, they get plus X plus X, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So yeah, I think you're going to run more or less the same creatures. <laughs> yep. And the difference is you get less things to do. You get less interaction. You get less fight spells. You get less stuff because you're mono red. Mm -hmm. I think that Tuya is just mostly better than Arnie. Although, like, I mean, the two bodies are, are like pretty comparable. It's really just like it's the same thing, but with green and green is awesome, especially if you're looking for big creatures. Yeah. If you already have a two you list, I would not recommend switching to Arnie. Yeah, the the one benefit is Arnie has haste baked in, but uh, Arnie doesn't get the toughness, so they can just be like, "Oh man, okay, I guess, I guess I'll just block with my like three X and kill your commander again." <laughs> like, yeah, kind of, kind of not super exciting. Arnie costing additional mana to activate relative to Tuya's. Uh, that's a drawback because like yeah you can cast him and swing on turn three but you can't actually activate him then you know? yeah exactly but anyway let's move on to the next uh red commander who i think has a little bit more spice to him yes definitely uh this is Torolf, god of fury two red red for a legendary creature god he's a five four with trample and whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess non-combat damage Torolf deals damage equal to the excess to any target other than that permanent. And the opposite side of this card, the back half, is Torolf's Hammer. One and a red for a legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature has one and a red tap, unattached Torolf's Hammer. It deals three damage to any target. Return Torolf's Hammer to its owner's hand. Equipped creature gets plus three plus O oh, as long as it's legendary and has equip for one and a red. What do you think about this commander? I think Torolf is awesome. I just think this is, uh, again, this is probably going to be a boogeyman at the table in the same way that Torbrain was a lightning rod. They just keep printing really good, really fun mono red commanders. So Torolf is just another in that, that list. Like they keep printing really good black green commanders. They keep printing really good mono red commanders. Like you're, you're playing a bunch of cool spells. You're, you can play the like two mana deal four 
spells. You can you can play the deal three to each creature spells, and if there's enough one ones, it actually will wipe the board. Mm-hmm. There's just so much extra stuff. It really makes burn spells actually worth it in Commander, which is great. That's that's wonderful. So I am pretty high on this guy, as you can hear. <laughs> and I really support people playing with him. He lets your burn spells live up to their full potential in a format where burn spells are typically pretty bad. Yeah, I just love the idea of like water falling damage. Like imagine your opponent has four tokens and you cast your flame slash, deal four to, four to the first, three to the second, two to the third, and one to the last one and just wipe them all for a single mana. The potential of this card is so awesome. And, and there's cards in this deck that are potentially just like a one-hit KO. Like if you Blasphemous Act uh, on a board full of creatures, everyone else is probably going to die. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not a lot of creatures that even if they're big, even if they're like four fours, there's not a lot of creatures that are going to be too That are going to be able big. to absorb a lot of that damage. Yeah, all 13 of that damage. So I definitely expect the blasphemous acts the star of extinctions to really uh really just kind of end the game <laughs> when torolf is out yeah so it seems really sweet really excited about this new commander and and you're totally right like the red the mono red commanders lately have just been absolute bangers so another to to add to the growing list of solid red options the next guy is a uh, well, I'll just read him. It's a green commander. This is Finn the Fangbearer. Finn is a 1-3 death touch. They're a human warrior for one and a green, so two CMC. Whenever a creature you control with death touch deals combat damage to a player, that player gets two poison counters. So they printed a, just a random poison card mm-hmm. in the set. They printed a random Phyrexian, and they printed a random poison card, and they weren't the same card. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, juked us there wizards yeah uh definitely surprising to see this but i think this is a really interesting commander it's just funny that it god i mean mean, we're gonna say this like multiple times in this episode but it's just funny that it's like immediately following commander legends because we just got halana who is herself like a really good death touch tribal commander because you know she just allows your death touch creatures to deal damage equal to their power as they enter the battlefield and just turns them all into chupacabras like that's a great direction to take death touch tribal and now if you really love death touch like here's your second option although un- unfortunately like you know this one doesn't have partner so you can't like add your black death touch creatures to it but it's it's just another option if that's really what you're trying to do but i think the overlap between like a mono green alana deck and a fin deck is going to be like they're going to be very, very similar. the The main yeah. difference is that like Finn is also probably going to be running like the cheapest infect creatures in this color identity. That's definitely true, and I think Finn is going to be like a big part of like Hapatra lists going forward and other lists that utilize Death Touch already. Um, That's a good which, point. to my knowledge, is really only Hapatra at this point in time. But just kind of being like a two mana like weird overrun <laughs> where your your snakes all have a ton of power out of nowhere that's pretty 
Good. So we'll see how Finn plays out. I don't expect to see Finn too often at the head of a deck, but I do expect to see Finn inside of Liss just because he's poison is really good. Poison's yeah. really strong. <laughs> Notably, overrun effects are, are really good in this list just because like granting trample and pumping your death touch creatures make it so that the majority of their damage is just going to waterfall over to their opponents. Things like Toski and Oran Frostfang are great here because your opponents are just put in this terrible position where they have to choose between, well, do I want to lose my blocker or do I want to let my opponent draw a card and either outcome is not awesome for them. But yeah, it, I mean, it's a it's an interesting archetype. I'm glad he exists. It's just, again, funny to get it so close on the heels of the, the last Death Touch commander. One of my thesis statements about Kaldheim in general is, did they know? <laughs> Were they aware that this commander is the same? <laughs> <laughs> so this next commander is Narfi Betrayer King. They are a 4-3 zombie wizard, 4-3 blue-black. Other snow and zombie creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Then they have snow, snow, snow. Return Narfi Betrayer King from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So this is an uncommon commander. Snow reward, zombie reward. I don't think this was made for commander. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think you can play this in commander, but the difference between thoughts scouring yourself and getting a 4-3 lord for 3 in like modern uh, is is a lot a lot more than just having narfi in your command zone and having to pay 5 and then having to pay 3 every other time after that so th yeah. there are commanders where you don't have to pay the tax i would probably recommend playing them unless like you really just aren't feeling it with the other snow commanders that we got or are getting this set yeah, I, I think that like as a zombie commander, this is definitely not going to, to beat out Farina or the Scarab God. We've said before, like just a simple plus one plus one pump. I mean, not only is it like really not an inspired reward, but it's also just like not really effective enough in this commander where the life totals are so high. I also like don't think the benefit to snow is going to make a really strong deck just because like we've only had three sets ever that have had snow creatures they most of them are kind of just like limited fodder to make that work whereas like zombies you know zombies are been around since the beginning of the game there's just so many much stronger options i think that a lot of the snow creatures are just kind of limited foddery and i don't think narfi is powerful enough to like unify them and make that into like a real contender of a deck i mean spoiler alert we got a few snow cards um <laughs> And uh, I think a lot of the snow cards that we've seen work a lot better in one of these other commanders, spoiler alert. So when we get to that commander, we'll talk about it. But yeah, I just think Narfi didn't quite hit the mark. Uh, I definitely think this is a plant for like a standard list or something like that. There's two other things I want to say about Narfi. Um, one is that I think he could actually be quite good in the main deck of a Verena list because Verena has a mechanism for discarding him. So you're never going to have to pay his like full retail price. And, you know, with Verena, you can kind of just like let him sit in the graveyard until it's late enough in the game. You've drawn enough of your snow basics that you can bring him back. And then he's just like a reasonably costed lord for the rest of your zombies. So I think that's a solid use of him like Vreen is always on the lookout for cards that are good in zombie tribal that can be cast out of your graveyard because that's just 
additional value for her. And I also want to mention Mitch from the Commander's Quarters made a video about how to combo with Narfi. Uh, it's it's called You Broke Narfi. Uh, and you can check it out if you're interested in going that route. I would just caution you that because of Narfi's unique characteristics as a reassembling ske- skeleton variant, w- which are that you know he requires three mana, which is a bit more than the norm, and requires that they all be snow, there's just fewer redundant combo pieces that work with him. And a lot of Narfi's combos have like, you know, maybe a single or even like a few points of failure where like if your your Ashnod's altar or your thermal flux get countered or uh, destroyed or whatever, or or if you like just can't find them, like because there's only they're only like one card in your 99 card deck, the deck is just not going to work. So that option is is out there for you if you're interested in doing it, but it's it's not my favorite type of combo deck because it seems like really, really weak to disruption. It is possible to combo with a lot of cards in Commander, just in Magic at large, but the problem with a lot of them isn't that, oh, this this takes three cards. It's that this takes three cards, but also two of them I just don't want to see unless I'm comboing off ever. Yeah, and yeah, and to be fair, these are also combos that do require a lot of cards because it's like, Ashnod's altar and thermal flux and Tormod and Narfi and like that's just so hard to assemble unless you've just totally pack your deck full of full of tutors mm-hmm. or no one interacts with you period yeah <laughs> like if no one interacts with you at all you go for it but I just don't think that's a very reasonable expectation of a commander game yeah uh, all right moving on to the next commander you want to read this guy off Yes, so this is Cardor Doom Scourge. They are a 4-3 Demon Berserker for 4 mana, 2 black-red. They have, when Cardor enters the battlefield until your next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. And then whenever an attacking creature dies, each opponent loses 1 life and you gain 1 life. So something to note is that they printed a card that specifies player other than you in a standard set, Mm -hmm. like just an uncommon in a standard set. And that is crazy. Yeah, that's definitely a big change. For so many years, they've been really reluctant to directly call out like this only works in a multiplayer format. But it's it's nice that Commander is like getting that nod even in these uh, these main releases. Yeah, and I really do think this would have said goad if they could have, but I think they just didn't want to bring that up in a standard set. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's funny because like not using goad makes it so that this is actually slightly better than goad because mm-hmm. the way it's currently worded, if your opponent drops a hasty creature, they also have to attack an opponent with that. Whereas like goad is just whatever is on the battlefield when this enters, that gets goaded, and anything that enters later is not. Yeah, so I think the the choices that they made for this like added up into something interesting. That said, I think one of the things that you might want to do with the Carter is to like flicker or reanimate or something like that. But after playing with my friend's list and just watching it happen, sometimes you only need one to really just mess up a board state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a, a friend do uh, Awaken the Erstwhile. So like five mana sorcery, everyone pitches their hands and then gets a 2-2 zombie for like each card they discarded and then just play Carter and I think two people died. (laughs) (laughs) Like 
it, it's just a, a lot because on top of the zombies and whatever other things on the battlefield having to attack, like the zombies all died. So people were drained and sometimes that's all it takes. So <laughs> I, I do think that it's possible and pretty easy to get like a reanimation loop going like chain or nightmare adept. It's kind of like a one card combo in that regard. You can get like a lot of value out of Carter and other ETB creatures but I think he's stronger than I gave him credit for when I first looked at him. Yeah, and there's a decent amount of ways to like make a bunch of tokens under multiple players' controls. Like, for example, like Tombstone Stairwell could be really good in this list because that just oh, creates yeah. a ton of creatures that uh, all have haste each upkeep. Also, things like uh, Tempt with Vengeance that just if your opponents are tempted can create a ton of dudes. Things like the Zombie Curse that make it so that you and another player both get a zombie whenever the cursed player is attacked. All, all those things, there's just a bunch of ways to make the board scarier when Carter comes out. It seems like a really fun commander if you're into goading stuff. Carter is going to have fans, and this is one of the ones that we're going to see just at tables now. It, I think it'll be a pretty popular Rakdos commander. All right, uh, moving on to the next commander. This is Svela Ice Shaper. One red-green for a 2-4 legendary snow creature, Troll Warrior. It has three tap, create a colorless snow artifact token named Icy Manolith with tap, add one mana of any color. And six red-green tap, look at the top four cards of your library. You may cast a spell from among them without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, what are your thoughts on this card? I think it's really funny. I, I don't necessarily know what I'm trying to do with this. I mean, like making snow permanence is interesting, but I don't really think there's that many snow rewards in red green for just like that scale off of your snow permanence like that. So yeah, I'm just not quite sure what my goal would be in a Svela deck. I think that like spending a bunch of mana to make these manoliths it uh, it's just not that appealing compared to other things i could be doing in a green color identity well for the same cost you could be playing like a uh like an overgrowth or even a, a kodama's reach sounds more appealing like just investing in card types that are less vulnerable to disruption than artifacts just the reward to like if you're just trying to get up so you can start spinning Svela with the eight mana activation that seems really bad too, because eight mana, like, yeah, I better cast whatever I see for free. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, that's a that's a lot, and it's only four cards, so it's not like you're really getting a discount. Like, it's more for convenience' sake. Like the the fact that if you don't have a hand, you can dig four and cast something. Then I'm really saving a bunch of mana on my Azuri's predation or something like that. And and there's like a little bit of library manipulation in this color identity. You can, you know, you have your Sylvan library, you have your um, Miri's Guile, you have like Worldly Tutor or Sylvan Tutor. But again, it it just seems like a lot of work and it compares so unfavorably to Mael the Anima, which costs like two less to activate and digs a card deeper. It puts like the creature directly onto the battlefield so that there's not an opportunity to counter it. It does, of course, only affect you know large creatures, whereas Svela can get anything. But I just feel like the big creatures are probably one of the more appeal. I, I don't know if you're losing out on that much power with that restriction, but there's not really a reward at this point for having a bunch of random snow manoliths around. 
So that being said, this guy just doesn't really do much. But I think we can move on to the next commander, uh, which I also don't actually have much to say. <laughs> sure, go for it. So this is Maja Bretgard Protector. They are a 2-3 human warrior for 5 mana, 2 green, white, white. Other creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, create a 1-1 one, one white human warrior creature token. And that's it. Yeah. So turns your ramp into creatures. Uh, what more do you need? Yep. I mean, I guess it's cool in that at this point we have pretty much every, we have like many, many color combinations for landfall decks. Pretty much whatever green X color identity you're interested in, there is a landfall commander for you. So yeah, if you really like Celestia and you want to be dropping lands, then boom, this guy's perfect for you. Yeah, it's like the exact opposite of Karametra, where you're like, I play land and get boy instead of I play boy and get land. <laughs> and like really is, I think, less inspired for it. There's just a lot of decks that are going to reward you for playing Gar Ranger's Path. You know, like if if I cultivate, I get a bonus and lots of commanders go, oh, yeah, I, I love doing that. That's kind of that's it. What you see is what you get. Yeah. It's not the most exciting, um, but we have a, a list that we're going to be posting in the episode description. So if you want an idea of how to build around this, uh, go ahead and check it out. Yep. Um, which gets us to our, our next commander, which is also not too much of a banger. But this is Harold, King of Skemfar, a 3-2 elf warrior with menace for three mana, one black green. When Harold enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an elf warrior or Tyvar card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, I mean, I, f- I feel like if you've listened to this podcast for at least another spoiler season, you'd know that I don't like ETB commanders. <laughs> like, Carter's kind of like one of the exceptions because he does so much when he enters, but this is just, I'm, I'm really not, I don't care about this at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm not very high on this, but I'm also okay with him not being the best because we just got two other options for black green elf commanders between like Miara and Numa or um, Lathril. So there's, if you want to do black green elves, you've got options. Just don't choose Harold. Yeah, you can put him in the deck. And I, in that regard, I think he's pretty good in the list of a black green elf list. You're like, yes, I will play an elf that draws me more elves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm just not super happy with him at the helm. So yeah, I will say it's a little odd. He is the king of Skemfar, but does not have the noble creature type. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't know what they're doing with that. Yeah, it seems really strange, like how inconsistently they're applying it. And it just feels like, like, was it a good idea to to introduce it? To introduce it if you're, you're not going to put it on the king of the elves? Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah what is the point if not to put it on cards that are kings and queens and yeah and princes and princesses yeah and the strange thing is like lathril is a noble but he like feels worse for having the creature type like first off he's a lower ranking noble than the king (laughs) and he feels worse for having that creature type instead of like warrior because all the creatures he makes are warriors and so like the warrior tribal stuff you would put in for them doesn't affect him it just uh, feels <laughs> uh. yeah it feels bad 
Yeah. It's a weird decision. But there's a, a decent amount of those in this set, too. So it's kind of a... <laughs> uh, speaking <laughs> kind of, of weird decisions, you want to move yeah. on to the next guy? <laughs> yeah, of course. So this is Morite. Is that how I should say this? Uh, Morit? I, I don't know. I, I, I okay. My, uh, I'm gonna say Morit. That sounded cool. Yeah, it, like I'm going off of like Egret. Oh yeah, okay. So yeah, so we're gonna call this guy Morit of the Frost, and I will be corrected later. Please yell at me on the internet. Um, Morit of the Frost is a zero zero shapeshifter for five mana, two green blue blue. They are a changeling, so they are all creature types. And they have the ability, you may have Morit enter the battlefield as a copy of a permanent you control, except it's legendary and snow in addition to its other types. And if it's a creature, it enters with two additional plus one plus one counters on it and has changeling. So, I mean, it's a clever impersonator. So, but only that's for your stuff. Only for your stuff. This is basically the people kind of were weirdly comparing it to Sakushima. It's kind of the opposite of Sakushima. Like, Sakashima, the whole point of Sakashima on both versions of like Sakashima's card is to copy legendary stuff and have multiple versions of these legendaries that are like pretty cool or pretty big. This just kind of seems like the best thing to do is make like a big evasive dude and copy the big evasive dude, except he's bigger and evasive and has commander damage now. And you're in blue green. Uh, there is a combo with this card that I think is worth mentioning. So. If you have a Rite of Passage, and Rite of Passage is an enchantment, it is two and a green uh, for an enchantment. Whenever a creature you control is dealt damage, put a plus one plus one counter on it, uh, and the damage is dealt before the counter is put on. If you play your Rite of Passage, make a copy of it with Morit, uh, and then play like a Triskelion or a Walking Ballista or something, what's going to happen is like you have your Walking Ballista with, say, like three counters on it. You remove one counter to ping itself. So it'll get one, it'll become a 2 2 with one damage marked on it. And then both of these rite of passages trigger and it gets two counters added to it. So it'll become a 4 4 with one damage marked on it. So from there, you can continue doing the same thing, continually ping itself. And then it'll have infinite counters on it. And then you just have to pass the, pass the turn so the damage gets wiped off and then you kill everyone. So that's something you can do with it. Although that combo may be a little bit difficult to assemble in a blue-green color identity because it's not very easy to find enchantments. But that's that's something you could do. Just thought I'd throw that out there. No, I think that's important to say because like, if you're just building this fairly, it's just not... This isn't doing anything that other commanders weren't already doing. So, But he, he certainly exists. Weird changeling. <laughs> Weird snow guy. I don't think we're going to get another changeling commander in this set. So I'm a little sad that it's just kind of this less focused design. I think that there are really interesting things you could do with like a blue-green changeling commander. For example, be a lord for a really obscure creature type like Camarids or something. But like, whoops, what you're actually doing is rewarding a whole bunch of changelings. But I guess this is fine too. Maybe <laughs> maybe the next time we'll see changeling and get something cool like that. This next card though is actually got is pretty cool <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm a big fan of this one um this is agar the freezing flame one blue red for a three three legendary creature giant wizard whenever a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls is dealt excess damage if a giant wizard or spell you controlled dealt damage to it this turn draw a card 
So this is like a very strange sort of combo deck. And I, I think it's going to be difficult to go off with this because your opponents are going to like learn really quickly. Like, oh, every single creature I play is going to die. Maybe <laughs> I should stop playing creatures because I'm really just helping my opponent. But if your opponents are like super obliging and or just very slow learners, then this is going to be pretty sweet because what happens is like, you know, pretty much every single spell in your deck is going to draw you a card. And from there, you can just filter through your deck, get a decently high storm count, get a bunch of cards in your graveyard. It seems pretty fun to me. Yeah, I agree. I think that the play pattern with this is fun. You're going to actually like in a funny way, run a lot of similar cards to the mono red god we talked about earlier, just because you want to be running these burn spells. These burn spells, they kind of reward you by chaining down and like cascading into damage across multiple creatures and giving you cards that way. This guy just literally gives you a card. Mm -hmm. Like if you if you flame slash a mana dork, you draw a card and replace the flame slash, like that kind of stuff. So you do kind of end up playing a bunch of burn spells you end up playing a lot of funny burn spells that you don't normally put into a commander deck thundering rebuke for instance two mana deal four i think a lot of two mana deal fours or one mana deal fours like roast uh, is especially good in this list deal five damage to a non-flyer just being able to top out and kill something and draw a card and keep moving is pretty Good, yeah. And then, like you said, if somebody realizes what's going on, maybe they'll not play a creature, but who knows? <laughs> the The composition of this deck is really kind of odd, too, because the, I mean, the burn spells, of course, are almost entirely red, and really, like, all you're playing blue for is just some engine cards. So things like cost reduction effects like Baral, Chief of Compliance, or Goblin Electromancer, um, or Jace's Sanctum, those all make it so that your spells are a little bit cheaper. You can cast more of them in a single turn. And then these things that like trigger off of you casting spells and like just make it more likely that you'll hit more gas, like Wind Rider Wizard. Uh, whenever you cast an instant sorcery or wizard spell, you may draw a card. If you do discard a card, again, Jace's Sanctum, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, scry one. Precognition Field, you can cast the top card of your library if it's an instant or sorcery card. Or like Trail of Evidence, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, investigate. So yeah, you've got these blue engines and these red burn spells. And like the composition just feels like so different than most blue red decks. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think this is an adequate giant commander? Absolutely not. I'm going to ask you a second question. Do you think we're going to get an adequate giant commander this set? I, I am thinking no. I think it's really unfortunate. God, I, it, I'm really disappointed as I say this, but I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I don't really get why, because it felt like they really, you know, I was so happy in Zendikar Rising when like every single limited theme had a supportive legendary creature and, and like all the themes like you could easily convert into like a brawl deck or a commander deck but just putting the word giant on this card doesn't make it a good giant tribal commander because like the problem with giants isn't oh they're losing out on so much damage because or, or like 
they're they're wasting all their damage because they're getting chump blocked by sapperlings. It's more like, well, man, how am I going to cast this seven drop on a turn where it's still relevant? You know? Yeah, exactly. The high mana cost of the giants is the biggest issue, and this guy doesn't really address that. I think that it is reasonable that a giant getting into combat with another creature, a planeswalker, could smush them and draw you a card. I do not think it's reasonable to expect that you're going to get that often, you know? Yeah, and also, yes, you are being rewarded for building giants with this guy, but like, you know, if you put 10, if you put like 20 giants and 20 burn spells in this deck, you're going to very quickly learn like, man, it's just so I get my cards so much more easily and so much more efficiently when I cast these burn spells than with these giants. Maybe I'll just take out these giants for a bunch more burn spells. And wow, man, this deck is really like rolling now. What's yeah. the- <laughs> It's not enough to just put the word on the card. It has to be like the best thing you can do to like commit to your giants. Otherwise, yep. like just natural deck building processes are going to eliminate that theme. This is not the first time you're going to hear us talk about this uh, topic today. How oh, no. Um, yeah. So, I mean, not, it's not for sure that we're not getting a giant commander or other commanders, but um, it's just looking like it. Mm-hmm. So just kind of preparing myself like emotionally for that that <laughs> letdown you know but we have one more commander to talk about today I, I would just pronounce it as a hard j rather than a soft j yes okay so this is jorn god of winter this is a modal double face card this is the last legend we're going to talk about today so the front half jorn god of winter is a three three god for three mana two and a green and has a pretty simple trigger whenever Jorn attacks. Untap each snow permanent you control. Oh, I forgot to mention that Jorn is a legendary snow creature. So legendary snow creature god for three mana. Whenever he attacks, untap each snow permanent you control. The backside is Cauldring the Rhyme Staff. This is a three mana legendary snow artifact. One blue black. It has tap. You may play target snow permanent card from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield tapped. This is really good. This is, a, I think, a very strong snow commander. Yeah, uh, although it's funny, like, I, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but how do you, uh, I, I, I don't love the execution of the modal double face cards in this mm. set because so many of them build into completely different decks. And <laughs> I like I think it would be much more interesting if they both built into the same decks but were useful at different times. So it was like actually a real decision as opposed to like, you know, in this case with Jorn, like I think there is a Jorn deck and there is a Cauldring deck and there's very few situations where you would like play Cauldring in the Jorn deck with Essica that we were talking about last week. Like, you're either building the Essica deck or you're building the Wooburg enchantment deck and you will never cast one of them in the other. This is maybe a hot take right now. I don't know. We'll find out. But both sides of this really heavily play into lands. I think as you play with Jorn or see Jorn being played, I think it's really going to pull you into like, oh, lands mattering is one of the best things I can do mm-hmm. <laughs> with both sides of this card. Yeah, so I I built both sides of the deck. I built a deck pretty much exclusively around Cauldring and another guy around Jorn. And my I built Cauldring first. It just seemed like not super powerful. So the best snow permanent cards are like the snow permanent cards that are the least 
that cost you the least to run are like the snow lands. So Cauldron is really, really good as like a crucible stand-in. And then you're just running like a bunch of ways to incidentally fill your graveyard. Things like Mesmeric Orb, but also like Risley Salvage or um, like Commune with the Gods. Things that'll just like, that basically cantrip, but also get a bunch of cards into your graveyard for you to recur with Cauldron at the same time. And so, you know, I was devoting a bunch of cards in my deck to these self-mill effects. And it just felt like I was doing an insane amount of work just to like essentially draw an extra card every turn because that's what I'm doing. Like I'm playing a land out of my graveyard instead of out of my hand. So I'm getting one narrow card per turn and it's like surely like endless horizons isn't the best thing for me to do (laughs) in my like bug deck. Um, You know, after getting a little bit frustrated with this cauldron list, I switched to just well, saying like, okay, I'm just going to build around Jorn and see what that looks like. And it's so much stronger. It's so yeah. much better. Oh my God. It's, uh, it's just way, 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 way more worth your time. In part because like, I mean, just a three cost mana doubler is extremely strong. And there's a lot of cards that synergize really well with it. E- even though it's it like happens during your, your attack step. So you can't, easily play like you know one expensive card with it there's a couple ways you can sort of build around it so vidalkin orrery and leyline of anticipation are really really good in this list because what you can do is like okay you know jorn attacks in response to the trigger i'm going to tap all my lands then that trigger resolves all my lands are untapped i'm going to tap them and now i play like my really expensive haymaker spell that has flash thanks to my Leyline of Anticipation or my Vidalcan Orrery. And then, of course, there's just like the powerful things that naturally have flash or are instance, like, you know, Jin Gataxius, Core Augur, or Dig Through Time, what you call it. Um, that. Uh, oh, Nexus of Fate, yes, stuff like that. Thank you, Nexus of Fate. So that is pretty strong too. But again, just like the, the flash granners are really good here because you can just expropriate during combat and winning from there is an exercise left to the listener yeah i do want to say too we have a friend who built the rhyme staff side of the card and just really quickly found that like dark depths was one of the best things mm-hmm. to do with the list because it is a snowland and it was really consistent <laughs> it's <laughs> like it was really easy to get a merit lage on like turn three or four pretty much every game so that's that's another thing you can do with Caldring, just if you throw every snow card into a list. But again, that's like lands and stuff like that. So I think if you want to party hard, Jorn, the Jorn face is pretty good at doing that, just like slamming some big threats down pretty quickly. And if you want, yeah, kind of like you said, like this weird crucible facsimile, mm-hmm. then Caldring is kind of where that's at. So I'm, I'm hoping to see some more interesting build see what people do with it but it's just yeah this was just kind of a weird design choice honestly yeah one last thing i want to say about jordan is like i really like crufix god of horizons in this list just being able to save up your mana in your first main phase untap everything with jordan and that's just another way similar to orrery or lane of anticipation to make it so that you can use all of your turns mana on a single big spell not that it matters too much but does crufix wipe away the snow aspect of the mana i don't believe so okay if you know for a certain yeah oh yeah please please let us know Um, but that is it we've gotten through the legends for this week uh and we have some main deck cards uh, a lot of which 
Um, we won't spend too much time on. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So do you want to get into the white cards? Okay. Yes. Uh, this first one is Clarion Spirit. It is one in white for a 2-2 creature spirit. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. This card stood out to me because it's a cheap member of a creature type that easily creates tokens of that creature type. So this is like a card that will naturally fit into a tribal list. The only unfortunate thing is that we currently don't really have a good spirit tribal commander, but it's something I would sort of like file away in your filing cabinet for when that occurs, perhaps with uh, the next Innistrad set. Yeah, so we'll we'll cross our fingers there. I think for now it goes in some Kaikar lists, like giving you extra mana in a turn um, seems fine or good mm-hmm. or extra bodies, but I don't have too much experience with Kaikar, so it might just be that if you're building a really optimized Kaikar, you really don't have space for a two mana Something that doesn't like trigger your producer. commander. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, I think this will be good in a spirit list one day. Cross our fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next card is really interesting. I know. Uh, it is Colossal Plow. Two mana for a 6-3 artifact vehicle. Whenever it attacks, add white, 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 and you gain three life. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Uh, and it has crew six. So tap any number of creatures you control with power six or more. This vehicle becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. Wow, this is a really, really interesting design. Yeah, so I think something that we learned about this design that actually like infuriated me <laughs> is that this was changed from green to white at the last minute. That this was going to give you three green mana. And they were like, you know what? What if we we have this ox a zero six for two but it can crew vehicles with its toughness they're like what if the ox could crew the colossal plow haha wouldn't that be great so they changed it to white and they're like "Mm, let's see what happens so the fact that this was just like flippantly kind of like seems like on a whim from what people have said about it changed to white instead of like the plan is like insane to me (laughs) because this is i think a really cool white card i think this is this is a really interesting space that white could continue to play in yeah it just feels incredibly white to reap the benefit of farming i mean swords to plowshares was you know one of the iconic cards from alpha and white has always had this relation this strong relationship with farming so this feels really appropriate it doesn't feel like a green card to me at all no i agree and i like that like yeah, crew six seems like a really steep cost, but it's worth noting like it has six power. You're not really losing out on the amount of damage you're dealing. You know, white has is the color of armies. I just like that it's making use of your armies to get you an advantage in in uh, an area that white has typically struggled in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that if you don't have something to do with your tokens and they're just sitting around, you can put them to work in the field mm-hmm. and ramp something out. And I love that. That is great. I hope to see more stuff in this space, like using White's connection to agriculture as and the fact that White makes tokens at such a premium rate, you know, to really push through advantages in especially commander because i i would imagine this is not going to see a lot of standard play but i definitely think it will at least i'm going to try it in commander so 
we'll see what happens with this this kind of experiment. Yeah, the only criticism I have for the card, because I am also like excited to to play around with this and see how it plays, is man, I I wish it had more toughness. I wish it was just yeah. like six five because I'm so scared that it's just gonna like die on the very first combat to like a pongify token when i look at this card i'm looking at it as like it is just gonna give me three mana one time (laughs) like a weird white ritual that i can kind of save up for when i'm trying to cast like an eight mana spell or like two four mana spells in a turn or something like that so that that's kind of like my uh takeaway from this card but i i really do want to see how it plays out because if this is worth it, if this is good, this is like a huge tool for Mono White, and I'm super down for that. All right, moving on to the next card. It is Divine Gambit. White, white for a sorcery. Exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment an opponent controls. That player may put a permanent card from their hand onto the battlefield. Yes. So there's a lot of discussion. I watched a lot of YouTube people talk about this card this week. Mm-hmm. This is just not where it needs to be i'm I'm glad they're experimenting with white like permanently exiling things but i would have attempted to play with this card if it was an instant and the fact that it is just a sorcery means i'm never really gonna risk it i'm just not gonna go for that risk if my opponent has five cards in hand and something is on the field that is probably bad like let's say it's like a i don't know like a survival of the fittest you're like hmm, i should probably kill that survival of the fittest but like, if I kill the survival of the fittest, is an Avenger of Zendikar coming down for free? Like, if they have a green mana open, almost certainly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's true. So I guess that's a bad analogy, but that's kind of just the mental game there, the politics about it, and I'm not super down for that. I think we have like a good point of comparison with Angelic Purge. So Angelic Purge is from Shadows Over Innistrad. It's two and a white for a sorcery. Uh, as an additional cost to cast it, sacrifice a permanent, uh, and then exile target artifact, creature, or enchantment. So it's slightly slightly more expensive, but the the floor on the card is way higher. Sacrificing a permanent is a known quantity, and it's there's a limit to how bad it can possibly be, whereas <laughs> Divine Gambit could potentially drop in an Ugin or something. So I think... That's a pretty good point of comparison. It's It's got some pluses and minuses, but it's about around the same power level. And that only sees play in 812 decks on EDH rec. I think what's going on is like at that price point for this type of effect, I think most people are maybe just saying like, well, why don't I just play O-Ring? And that's that's a good question. Why not just play O-Ring? Yeah, or like an instant speed effect, like Divine Gambit and... Angelic Purge don't save me from when a combo is going off. That's a good point too. So it, it's I, I usually look for spot removal like that to be instant speed specifically for that reason. Mm-hmm. I, I found that I usually don't play O-Ring anymore these days just as a kill spell because I, I've died so many times with an O-Ring in hand and my opponent like went off and it's like, well, I had three mana, but my O-Ring doesn't have flash. So yep. Yep. I'm just going to die, I guess. I know I will like forever limit the fact that cast out was four mana. Like if it was just O ring with flash, it's like wow, this could could be a format staple. But yeah, I know <laughs> four is just too much. Whoops. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll just have a brief yeah, moment for this card. Um, so this is giant ox, one and a white for a creature ox. It's a zero six, and it crews vehicles using its toughness rather than its power. 
this seems amazing if you've got like a Doran aggro deck. So, um, I mean, it is very good in a Doran deck that is not super focused on Doran aggro and got them to somehow design a card that's cool and new design space for white. So I'm, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving on to the next card. This is Shepherd of the Cosmos. Four white, white for a 3-3 three, three creature angel warrior. It has flying, and when it enters the battlefield, return target permanent card with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it has foretell for three and a white. This card is notable because it goes infinite with Safi Eric's Daughter or Angelic Renewal and a Sack Outlet. So if you've got a Safi list and you're looking to combo off, I think this could be a good addition to uh, the cards that combo with Safi. What do you think about this? No, I totally agree with that. I, I'm glad to see that they are continuing to give us kind of white recursion. Uh, I mean, this is really good white late game mana ramp gets your like fetch lands back and stuff like that. This is good, like you said, with the combo pieces like Safi and Angelic Renewal. The fact that it doesn't get a three CMC thing back is a pretty big knock on it just because there's so many things that combo with like Sun Titan that all of a sudden Shepard doesn't have access to. That said, I think it's still still pretty good. It's still kind of worth it. So yeah, I'm just happy to see a white card that recurs things. Like it gets back bounty agents if you need like removal, gets back a ton of stuff. So I'm, Dark Sea Invitation. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I'm, I'm happy to, to see more cards in this vein. I think it's a bit expensive for just like the generic usage, but it's good that they are like remembering that Sun Titan is a card and, and that it's an effect that white can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope they remember more often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on to the next card. It is Starnheim Unleashed. Two white white for a sorcery. Create a 4-4 white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance. If this spell was foretold, create X of those tokens instead. And it has foretell for XX white. My thoughts on this card is that like the base mode is an obvious no. You're I think you're really only going to be casting this for its foretell cost. And although it's nice that it's split up over multiple turns, it's I, I still don't quite know if this is good enough. I agree with you. I think that just the fact that this is such a bad top deck, or or not necessarily like a bad, bad top deck, but it is so much worse. So like if you draw this in the first five turns of the game, you'll probably find two mana to foretell it so that you can play it later. That's fine, whatever. Sure. But like if it's turn seven and you need a bunch of blockers and you draw this card, like that feels a lot worse. It just seems like unless you can really make use of the tokens, this isn't quite worth it to me. I can just make a bunch of tokens in white even if they're not four fours in various other ways. And I'd rather that there are a bunch of tokens I can use for things than specifically angel tokens at like a premium. I mean, I think the the easiest point of comparison is Entreat the Angels, which is not great if you (laughs) draw it in the very early game. But like in top deck mode, Entreat the Angels just obviously beats the hell out of this card. It's just better in, in every possible way. I think that like they are close to a similar power level but i think like being good in top deck mode or when you top deck it matters more in a format where the libraries are just very large the ratio percentage of time that a card is in your opening hand versus like drawn in the later game is is very different between 60 card formats and commander and i think 
in yeah. Commander that you want to give the benefit of the doubt to the card that's better in the late game. Yep, maybe one day we'll see a really good place for Starnam Unleashed, but for now, uh, I'm just going to be keeping an eye out, just mm-hmm. looking looking around. Yeah, this is one of the first cards spoiled in the last week, and when I was like writing up my notes for it at that time, I was like, Man, you know, when we get our angel commander, this yeah. could be really good in that list. And like, I don't think we're getting that angel commander. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen at this point. So yeah. just bracing myself for that disappointment, like I said earlier. But uh, last white card for the day. So this is Usher of the Fallen. This is a 2-1 spirit warrior for white mana, one white mana. It has boast, one and a white. Create a 1-1 white human warrior creature token. Uh, this is a 2-1 for 1 mana that makes more tokens. And you know what? That is it's pretty good in, in some decks, and it's pretty good in decks that care about warriors. Can you think of a, a warrior commander that really wants a lot of warriors before they they hit the battlefield? Oh, uh, maybe perhaps Dajila? <laughs> yeah, so I would definitely put this on a Dajila list. Beats the, the hell out of some of the other warriors that are in that list that might just be like 2-1s that don't make tokens (laughs) yeah the fact that like this curves so well just makes it like you don't need to have any other warriors in your hand in order to get two najila triggers the turn she comes down uh is just super attractive Uh, i think this Mm -hmm. is a good card yep a good addition to that list this is our first blue card this is cyclone summoner a seven seven giant wizard for seven mana five blue blue when Cyclone Summoner enters the battlefield, if you cast it from your hand, return all permanents to their owner's hands except for giants, wizards, and lands. This is like a complete blowout if you are doing giants or wizards and you're attacking. So I'm more inclined to say that giants would want this over wizards, but we're not really getting that yeah. <laughs> really appropriate giant commander. So Yeah, I don't think you want to like pull the flame slash out of your Agar list for a Cyclone Summoner. That doesn't yeah a winning strategy yeah so when i i saw this and was like really excited and pumped i'm like oh cool this giant deck is gonna be so awesome and now i am just kind of looking at cyclone summoner like okay man maybe someday yeah and yeah that's uh, that's it that's how i feel about this card yep moving on though mm-hmm. yeah this card has got this is a spicy uh this is graven lore it is three blue blue for a snow instant Scry X, where X is the amount of snow mana spent to cast this spell. Then draw three cards. So I think this is like one of the better pure card draw spells in blue recently. Yes, I 100% agree. Which means that like if you're a blue deck kind of just in the market for an instant speed card draw spell, then you're just forced to play Snowlands. This is like another card that is infecting like a wide swath of decks with the Snow Menace. Yeah, so I do have friends who were playing Jace's Ingenuity, which is very similar. It's an instant three blue blue, draw three cards. This is almost strictly better, especially if you're playing Snow, like Snow Basics. So I think this is one of the biggest offenders of snow like scrying five and drawing three is so much stronger (laughs) Mm -hmm. than just randomly drawing three at the end of someone's turn like the the selection that this card gives you is nuts so basically possibly digging you eight cards deeper at the end of someone's turn 
like this is very strong it's very cool that snow got this tool but at the same time i'm this is one of the cards that makes me more upset that snow is what it is i don't think like a ton of decks are going to be crazy into running this nobody was well actually it's it is so deep you're it's probably going to be see a lot of play and and force a lot of people to switch to snow basics so that's fun yeah yeah (laughs) moving on uh this is Litjara Kin Seekers, three and a blue for a two-four shapeshifter with changeling. When it enters the battlefield, if you control three or more creatures that share a creature type, put a plus and plus one counter on Litjara Kin Seekers, then scry one. Once you get to like four plus CMC, changelings get a lot less appealing. Like most of the decks that want changelings would prefer that they be as cheap as possible. Uh, but uh, fortunately, like Unesh exists and he reduces the cost of your sphinxes so really litjara kin seekers only cost two mana in that deck and that's a fine price it's still like way cheaper than even the reduced cost of most sphinxes yes yeah so still a good rate you still mini factor fiction and you get to scry one probably mm-hmm. so that's yeah, cool it's, it's probably going to be a three five yeah so that's that's uh great news so this next card is Pilfering Hawk. This is a 1-2 snow creature bird for one and a blue. It has flying and it has snow, tap, draw a card, then discard a card. So this is very good in Jorn. It's very good with the Rhyme Staff and it's really good with Jorn himself because you it's kind of free to loot because you untap this and the land. Mm-hmm. So that just seems like the obvious place to play this don't really have much more to say about it <laughs> yep i i think that's all that needs to be said and let's move on to the next card cool this next one is actually pretty rad it's our last blue card for the day uh, this is mystic reflection so it is an instant it costs one and a blue choose target non-legendary creature the next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enter the battlefield this turn they enter as a copy of the chosen creature it also has foretell for a blue, so you can exile it earlier and later on cast it for one blue. So this has just dozens of applications. Like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like this card. Uh, it does everything from, like, synergize with your own cards that make tokens. So if you are in mono blue, the best thing is probably Master of Waves. That makes a bunch of elementals. But just kidding, they're actually Master of Waves. So if you had, like, four devotion to blue you're actually getting four more master of waves and you're gonna get like nine times four elementals uh which is a lot better and they're all getting buffed uh one one from the master of waves too so like it's just a ton of power out of nowhere and this is just how it's gonna play out with a ton of things it's really good with avengers and the cars the big one everyone talks about or mirror battlesphere or deranged hermit literally anything that just makes a bunch of tokens in one go. This is really good with. The coolest thing is like someone goes like Ugin and you go Sapperling token and now Ugin is a Sapperling token. Mm-hmm. And you just saved a lot of grief at the table. So I would say used offensively. It's mostly just like worse than a counter spell. If you're using it on your own things, I think there are some lists that are naturally going to be running like, you know, Avenger and Deep Forest Hermit and all those cards you mentioned, like maybe some sort of Azuri Claw of Progress list or like Derevi tokens list, some sort of like mm-hmm. Simic or Bant token list. It'd probably be like 
pretty easy to find a space for this because you're already running like naturally running all of the cards that it synergizes best with but i i think that like you're not just going to toss this into any deck running avenger yeah i definitely think that's true i, d- I don't want to give that uh, impression away too that i'm just gonna start running this in every green blue x deck with an avenger syndicar in it <laughs> yeah you definitely want to be careful and make sure that by the time you draw this you will probably have have drawn one of the cards it it synergizes with the deck i think it fits most naturally into the one that like where it's just good pretty much by itself and doesn't really need a lot of support would be in Brutaclad, Telcor Engineer. Is because Brutaclad, for those who don't remember that card, four blue red for a four-four legendary artifact creature artificer. Creature tokens you control have haste, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, create a two-one blue mirror artifact creature token. Then you may choose a token you control. If you do, each other token you control becomes a copy of that token. So what a lot of Brutaclad decks are trying to do is use use something like a Rite of Replication or a Quasi-Duplicate to create a creature token of a really powerful creature and then make a bunch of tokens cheaply, like a bunch of treasure tokens or whatever, and then make all of your treasures into that Inferno Titan or yep. <laughs> whatever other beat stick you have chosen. So this can slot in pretty easily for one of those like right of replication type effects. All you need to do is cast it before Brutaclad has his trigger. He'll make a blue mur, um, except that blue mur is actually an Inferno Titan. And then all of your tokens will be Inferno Titans as well. So it, it just the deck naturally wants effects similar to this and this is just going to be an easy addition to that list. I just think this is a really cool card with a really unique effect. So I think that people will play this. They're going to find places to play this, and we're going to get more places as we get more commanders that make tokens and whatnot. So definitely cool. The fact that it's just forever <laughs> is really the thing that gets me with this card. But now we get into the black cards, and this first one is the first time we can officially talk about it. (laughs) So this is Blood on the Snow. This is a six mana snow sorcery, four black black. It has choose one, destroy all creatures, destroy all planeswalkers, then return a creature or planeswalker card with converted mana cost X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the amount of snow spent to cast this spell. So... Uh, notable you can't steal your like opponent's chandra or something like that Uh, it has to be your graveyard but wrathing and getting back a grave titan that seems pretty good you know yeah six is a little bit more mana than i normally would prefer to spend on a black board wipe but there's some really good synergies with this card that aren't really open to any other black board wipe so if you have three or four or five snow sources, then you can get back an Eternal Witness or a Jehaudun or an Archaeomancer. And then you can just like cast this Blood on the Snow as many times as you like because you just choose Destroyal Creatures, kill your own Eternal Witness, get it back, return the Blood on the Snow to your hand, and you just have as many board wipes as you could want. It's the classic, like, you have nine mana and Archaeomancer and then. And- uh evacuate you're just like well uh you don't get creatures anymore (laughs) yeah so this seems great definitely a huge upgrade over a lot of the other six mana black board wipes 
and just a pretty sweet card. And I guess another reason for black decks to have yep. all basic Snowlands. Yep. I'm not going to say anything about that. This next card, though, is a it's a big one. It's a mythic. This is Burning Rune Demon. This is a 6-6 six, six flying demon berserker for 6 mana, 4 black black. When Burning Rune Demon enters the battlefield, you may search your library for exactly two cards not named Burning Rune Demon that have different names. If you do reveal those cards, an opponent picks one, put the chosen card into your hand and the other into your graveyard, then shuffle your library. So this is kind of like a weird demon intuition. Um, You have to... Well, except, oh, actually not intuition. What am I thinking of? Gifts Ungiven? Like weird six mana Gifts Ungiven? I was really worried that they we weren't going to see any ETB effects like this ever again. So the fact that we are seeing an ETB that is this powerful on a creature and it doesn't have a, like when you cast the spell clause on it, that makes me pretty happy. For me, uh, I mean, the natural point of comparison, and they are like trying to draw attention to this with the name, but is Runescarred Demon. And while Runescar Demon like doesn't give your opponents any control over it, I think there's a lot of situations where it's not going to matter what your opponent picks. If you've got like two cards in your deck that do the same thing, like it's not really a choice for your opponent. If you're saying like, "Well, do I get this Damnation or do I get this Crux of Fate, um, or like do I get this Exsanguinate or do I get this Torment of Hailfire?" Uh, if if the if you're finding that the cards that you're typically searching for with your Runescar Demon are things that you have like multiple redundant versions of, then this is like basically an upgrade. And then of course there's going to be lists where putting things into your graveyard is like a form of card draw. So like if you're recurring this with a uh, with like a uh, Chainer Nightmare Adept then really it's like you know put two cards into your hand essentially so there's decks where this is going to be even better than rune scarred demon so i think this is a a pretty interesting card and it's a uh, it's cool addition to the format so this next card is uh j- yeah we just have a bunch of black haymakers this week it's really funny um, yeah like like last week we had almost no black cards and then this time it's just like wow banger 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 yeah <laughs> so this next card is haunting voyage it is also a six mana black card it's four black black for a sorcery choose a creature type return up to two creature cards that share that type from your graveyard to the battlefield if this spell was foretold return all creature cards of that type from your graveyard to the battlefield instead Uh, And as the card kind of explained to you, it has foretell. The foretell cost, though, is five black black, so seven mana. Um, So I love Ever After, and I've definitely cut that card from list before. Mm -hmm. Unless like there's something really specific or I was trying to combo with it or something like that. So getting two things, but they have to share a type, I'm not super into. Um, And then seven mana to Patriarch's bidding seems like not the best rate either so i'm not i'm not really feeling it i'll say that like it is worth noting that patriarch's bidding is uh symmetrical like yeah. your your opponents get to choose creature type as well and this one is just purely only your stuff and i'll also say that like 
there are some decks that like if this resolves if the foretell mode resolves they probably just win like iname death aspect is not gonna turn up its nose at oh yeah that's true <laughs> at another like patriarch spinning there's some decks that are just like really weak to board wipes that may be interested in playing this we you know when sethron her general came out we talked about how like yeah like curving uh minotaurs into sethron feels really bad because like you're you don't actually get the benefit but you know after that for- first board wipe happens and you reanimate all your minotaurs at once including sethron that's actually really sweet so i think that this i know it's expensive but i think that this might be appealing for that kind of deck as well rise of the dread marn this is a three mana instant create x two two black zombie berserker creature tokens where x is the number of non-token creatures that died this turn but you can foretell it for one black i think this is worth it honestly yeah i've never been like a huge fan of like collar of the claw or that eldrazi that uh makes a bunch of of scions based on the number of creatures that died because like holding up three mana for something that may not happen is just not very appealing but holding up a single black mana to like protect yourself from a board wipe or like recover immediately from a board wipe that's pretty attractive i i could definitely see myself running this in like a varina list or like a scarab god list just as a way to ensure like okay yeah they can they can kill my dudes but they will come back immediately and i'll be doing the same kind of kind of stuff next turn yeah it's also worth noting like if you've got a deck that is really good at assembling infinite like sack outlet loops this is just a way to make infinite tokens off of that like you just go through your loop infinite times and then whoop I uh, guess how many creatures died this turn yeah that actually i think that's a pretty cool place for this card like either like as a one black insurance card or like one black I win card. Mm-hmm. And you can just kind of forget about it. You can just kind of foretell it and forget about it. And then you're like, oh, actually, my Gravecrawler is dying a bunch of times. Yeah, I don't really have anything to do with that. Just kidding. Here's like 10,000 zombie tokens. Mm-hmm. For today, this is our last black card. It is Skemfar Avenger, a 3-1 elf berserker for one and a black. So a 3-1 for two mana. Whenever another non-token elf or berserker you control dies, you draw a card and you lose one life. Yeah, where would you play this? Well, probably play this if if there were like a a black X elf commander that cared about elves dying. You play it in Miara. Put it put in your Miara list. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just another way to get advantage off of the thing you were already trying to do. I mean, this is like neat also as a berserker tribal card but again i think we need a supportive commander because like this lovisa and that one saga are not really enough to make the deck cohesive i don't think agree so i don't know maybe someday he's a return to cal time hopefully <laughs> return to new new phrase <laughs> i'm just so worried that's what it's gonna be we are in the red cards now and this first one, there's a lot of interesting info, uh, but I'm not super excited about it. So this is Basalt Ravager. This is a 4-2 giant wizard for 4 mana, 3 and a red. When Basalt Ravager enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to any target where X is the greatest number of creatures you control that have a creature type in common. I mean, notably, that wording is new, very different. We had a, a 
creature like this that was just wizards in Zendikar Rising. This does make it so that if you sapperling bursted or like said yes to someone's tempt with vengeance, you can deal a lot of damage. Uh, but I think the floor on this being one damage is like not, it just makes this really unappealing to me. Yeah, I feel the same way. There are going to be times where like somebody wraths and then like this is your top deck and it's like, oh, really, really painful. I would say that like if you really want this effect, it's going to be hard to make it consistently better than just like a flame tongue Kabu. And so maybe consider running that instead. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I actually like, I started playing Commander. Flame Tongue Kavu was really popular. And you'd see it all the time. And it did a decent amount of work. And then people kind of switched. It kind of turned into like even more haymakers or something for a second. It seemed like there's like this Timmy heyday where you're playing primordials and you're playing titans and it, it out of nowhere like four damage just wasn't really enough uh, a lot of commanders were not killable with it but it's been years from that now and the whole format has come down and two mana rocks are kind of the place to be and i was like you know what maybe it's time to put old flame tongue back in a deck and i did and it's been great and he kills most commanders kills a lot of utility creatures I don't know. I just would recommend it again because it's basically like a red Necrotal at this point, at least in my experience. So I would say give it a shot again. Try it, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. The one list where I think I'd be a bit more willing to run this card is in like Inala because your base case is you're getting two of these guys. So it's the floor in Inala is like always going to be four damage for for one extra mana. And so you're never going to deal just one, but in other lists, I'd probably just want to run the flame tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four as a floor. Like I know that's also your ceiling, but <laughs> <laughs> just the baseline of four damage is like I think good enough nowadays. Yeah, which kind of gets us to our next card. This is Dual Strike, a red instant. It's red, red, so two mana. When you cast your next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost four or less this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. And it has foretell of a single red mana. This is pretty good. So there's been kind of a theme so far where a lot of these cards that foretell for one mana are like pretty good. (laughs) Like probably worth it, especially the instants, the make a bunch of zombies, the turn the thing's entering into a thing. This one also is kind of in that same vein. I think this isn't something to put into every list, but if your list was already running a bunch of rituals, if your list is like really high on removal, this is just another way to pretty easily get value out of that. Like I can imagine a scenario where like you just for three mana and a malicious affliction can like kill four creatures or you cast Jessica's will and get like 14 red mana and like impulse draw six cards. This is just doesn't seem like that far-fetched of a plan. And I'm not going to just put this in a red list that isn't going to be running spells like this. I would primarily be putting this in lists that we're already trying to do stuff like that. This seems pretty good in like Calamax and stuff like that. So I just think this is already has a home and will be welcomed into those homes as time goes on. I think it's worth noting that like all of the most recent red copying spells have been worded as like whenever you cast your next instant or sorcery spell copy it rather than like copy target instant or sorcery spell 
And so like I asked Jules Robbins about it just to see like, is this how we're sort of defining copying spells in Red's color pie? Is it only able to copy your stuff? And Jules said, this isn't a color pie issue, but a game pattern one. Reverberates that hit opposing spells are fun in multiplayer games, but one-on-one, if one of them is seeing a lot of play, that's a strong incentive to not put big, cool spells in your deck. We'll see different versions by context. It's sort of like how recently a lot of the clone effects have only cloned your own stuff. I guess they're just like trying to push towards magic gameplay where you don't get to make your opponent feel dumb where like they're casting their their enormous spell and you're just paying two mana to get the same benefit it makes me wonder what we're going to see in the future in this regard so i love bonus round uh i think i like dual strike and i'm one of the people that jules is hopefully designing these cards for (laughs) so i'm i will eat this stuff up every time we see it i wonder where the design space with these are going to go in the future do you want to get into this next guy? Uh, this is Fearless Liberator. One in a red for a 2-1 creature Dorf Berserker. It has Boast. Two in a red. Create a 2-1 red Dorf Berserker creature token. So Magda does not have like an abundance of options for dwarves. And a lot of the dwarves you're playing are just very bad cards. Like 1-1s one for 2 kind of stuff. Uh, so the fact that this is like a 2-1 for 2 that can also make additional dwarves just puts it head and shoulders above most of the, the dwarves in the Magda deck. So I think there's an easy addition into that list. Yeah, I definitely agree. Kind of in that vein, we have another pretty good tribal reward. I think this is one of the exceptions that uh, will be run in the tribal list that we've seen. This is Squash, a 5-mana instant. It costs 4 and a red. This spell costs three less to cast if you control a giant. Squash deals six damage to target creature or planeswalker. Which list would I run this spell in? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking Agar. I think this is pretty pretty darn sweet for the Agar list. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you go turn three Agar. Whatever is on the field is dead with Squash out and you draw a card. That seems totally fine. That seems really good. Yeah, two mana for six damage is like... Pretty much, pretty much a doom blade. It's great that I think they have like a good sense of the ratios of damage that need to work in Commander, but they are just been very reluctant to provide them. Hopefully, like this and Soulseer from M twenty one will be portents of things to come. Yes, I agree. I'm really hoping. Oh my god, this next one. Yeah, do you want me to read it and you get into it? Sure, go for it. Okay, so this is Tybalt's Trickery. This is a red instant. It's two mana, one and a red. Counter target spell. Choose one, two, or three at random. It's controller mills that many cards. Then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than the spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then they put the exiled cards on the bottom of their library in a random order. What this does is it counters a spell and then with a little bit of fudging with the top cards of your library, you chaos or not chaos or you uh, possibility storm into some other spell. <laughs> and I this is I think this is pretty good. I'm just going to that's what I'm going to say. I'll let you take it from here. Uh, so this seems like a new red staple. I think when you cast it, it'll be in situations where you would rather your opponent has 
anything other than the spell currently on the stack. Like you're gonna be you're not gonna be casting this on like a Doom Blade. You're gonna be casting this on like a crater hoof or an exsanguinate or an expropriate. You're gonna be saving this for the moment where it will prevent you from dying. And in that case, it's going to be very, very good. I mm-hmm. will say that I do not understand why it mills cards at random. I get why you would want to mill some cards because, you know, it would be really, it'd be pretty lame if like you cast this and your opponent casts like a vampiric tutor in response, or maybe wizards doesn't want you to be using this on your own spells and like setting it up with a, with an instant speed top of library tutor. And maybe they want to dodge like brainstorm effects too, whatever. But if you just like always mill three cards in every situation, that'll get rid of like 99% of people's attempts to control what it does. Forcing players to have to like determine a number at random, like always really slows down gameplay. As I said, I think this is going to be a new red staple. I think it's going to be cast a lot. And if every time you have to cast it, you go through this little diversion where it's like, Okay, who's got a D6? Uh, uh, Joe, you got a D6? Okay, great. Yeah, give me that. Uh, okay, one and two is uh, one card. Three and four is two cards. Five and six is three cards. Okay, let me roll it. All right, great. Mill three cards. That little 20-second diversion from gameplay is going to add up if you know every single red deck is going to be casting this spell and so much of the time it does not matter it, it's just a loading screen where the gameplay is interrupted they're they've been doing a lot to cut down on shuffle effects because it just reduces the amount of time you actually spend playing why have this unnecessary random effect if just mill three does exactly what you want but doesn't require additional time Yep, I totally agree. This is going to be a new format staple. I am excited to play with it personally, but yeah, it, it is just, it took me a while to parse through what it did because I kept thinking that the mill one, two, or three was relevant to the card, and it's not. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm definitely going to pick up a bunch of these once the set comes out. Yeah, moving on, we have another snow spell. This is Tundra Fumarole, a three mana snow sorcery, one red, red. Tundra Fumarole deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker. Add colorless for each snow spent to cast this spell. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. So uh, notably, you could Tundra Fumarole in your first main phase to kill a blocker attack and then use that three mana, two mana, whatever it was that you saved up from the Tundra Fumarole to cast like a five or six drop or something later on in the turn. So... That's nice of them. <laughs> you know, I'm not super excited to see this card. I would probably run this in like Agar because it gives me mana to cast more spells and deals four damage to things, which the four damage spells are pretty good in Agar. Might run it in our friend Jarolf. Jarolf, is that his name? Torolf. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, I'd probably run this in Torolf because like killing a mana dork for four mana and then killing a 3 3 with that same three mana and then also having three mana to cast more things that deal damage seems pretty good Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um i'm happy to see a snow spell i don't want to run in every red deck yeah i think this is pretty much just a card for the the two excess damage commanders we've seen in this set and otherwise like i don't think like bombard was 
really seen a ton of play in Commander, so I don't think this is uh, definitely not going to be a format staple for most lists. Agreed. And honestly, I'm super happy about that. Um, Another not format staple, but very cool card. This is Vault Robber, a 1-3 Dwarf Rogue for 2 mana, 1 and a red. They have 1 generic tap exile a creature card from your graveyard create a treasure token this is great i think this is fine i think this is even like marginally playable and not just dwarfless you know or not just magda and uh, yeah i i think you could play this in like a karkesh you could play this in whatever like if you eventually when we get more and more treasure synergies this might go up in value for a list but right now i think you're not going to be playing it in too wide of a swath of lists it i think it exists yeah i think it's interesting in terms of what it might imply for future design repeatable treasure token generation just starts to feel like ramp like if you make a treasure token every single turn it's like is this not just like a a rampant growth at that point yeah (laughs) um it's cool that like red's portion of the color pie might be expanding in that direction and it's also interesting to see like red using exiling creature cards from a graveyard as a cost that is something that has historically felt really black so expanding that into other colors like red is certainly good at filling its graveyard so giving it additional way to use its graveyard as a resource is appealing no, I totally agree with that. So I, I think this is just cool space for red, and I hope we see more stuff in this vein in the future. But we've did it. We made it to green. Yeah, getting towards the home stretch here. This next card is Battle Mammoth. It is three green green for a 6-5 creature elephant with trample. Whenever a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. And it has Fortel for two green green. I brought this card up because I think people might be interested in it but i don't think it's super strong yeah this is finally a green mythic that isn't just a wall of text yeah but i i think like people are worried about spot removal but i think if this just trades with a doom blade and then the rest of your stuff also died at spot removal yeah you'll be up a card but it's not worth spending five mana for and like not really impacting the board five mana to to two for one somebody is not the best rate you can get in commander and then of course like if somebody just casts a board wipe then this does nothing that's that's it all right uh this next green card is pretty good though it is blessing of frost three and a green for a snow sorcery distribute x plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures you control where x is the amount of snow mana spent to cast this spell then draw a card for each creature you control with power four or greater. There are a lot of decks in green that are pretty good at making a lot of big creatures. So Goreclaw is one of them. Uh, Hamza, the, the robot list, is very good at doing so. Yeah. Uh, Omnath, Locus of Rage. Um, Gired, Conclave Exile. Gahiji, Honored One. Uh, that one's a little tricky because you have to attack with your guys and then cast this in the post-combat main phase. And then Mazarek, uh, if you sacrifice enough permanence, then all your guys are going to meet the threshold. And then Phylath, the new card from Zendikar Rising, that makes a bunch of plant tokens. Like Phylath tends to uh, spread its four plus one plus one counters across its plants. So very quickly with just a couple land drops, 
you're going to be able to get to a point where you're drawing a lot of cards off of Blessing of Frost. And also, it's worth mentioning that like Phylath only produces plant tokens based on the number of basics you control. So that deck is incentivizing basics, and you need snow basics to really make Blessing of Frost go off with the, the plus one plus one counter. So that's a nice little natural synergy there. This is the kind of go-wide green card draw that I'm more okay with. I really just wish that like Collective Unconscious and stuff like that was mm, not green. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, maybe a hot take, but I, I like this where it's rewarding you for actually investing and in having a big board and like paying you back for that. Yeah, this definitely feels a lot more appropriate for green than just something like Collective Unconscious or where all your like one one elves are drawing you tons of cards like caring about large creatures totally i have no problem with that being part of green's color pie yeah so interesting to see this card moving on we got another changeling this is guardian glade walker this is a one one shapeshifter for one and a green so two cmc it has changeling and when it enters the battlefield put a plus one plus one counter on target creature i mean all the decks that are running woodland changeling are happy to run this as well um there's plenty of room for very cheap changelings in commander you just put it in your bear deck or your egg list or whatever there's there's so many places that are going to want this card this is exactly what i was hoping to get out of this set so very pleased snicks card's funny this is uh we're gonna bring it up but uh i'm not super into it for commander this is in search of greatness this is a green enchantment green green so cmc2 at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a permanent spell from your hand with converted mana cost equal to one plus the highest converted mana cost among other permanents you control without paying its mana cost if you don't scry one. So the shorthand of that is every turn you get to cast from your hand for free a permanent if it has exactly one CMC higher than your highest permanent on the board. So you fail if you don't have something to play you just cry one so i think this is a plant for 20 life formats where in commander you kind of need to curve out with this spell so to speak you kind of have to go like in search of greatness three drop next turn four drop next turn five drop like really get value out of it otherwise just paying two mana to scry one every turn isn't really worth it i would say i don't know how you feel about that though no, I agree. This It's going to be difficult to make this work for you because in Commander, the spread of CMC is so much wider than it is in other formats. So like being able to like perfectly curve out just seems incredibly difficult. I would probably not run this in most lists. Maybe a list where the average distribution of creatures is pretty good already. So like maybe Yisan, where like you kind of are running a chain... So if that chain ends up in your hand, you kind of can still get a payoff for it. But um, I, I'm definitely not just jamming this in the green list. Yeah. All right. This next card is Mammoth Growth. It is two and a green for an instant. Target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn. And it has foretell for a single green mana. So there are some decks that are running like a Groundswell or Might of Old Crosa. Like if you have a Marwin the Nurturer list, or a Selvala, Selvala 2.0. Both of those decks essentially use Groundswell or Might of Old Grossa as rituals. So in those lists, assuming you can like find the tempo in your early turns to foretell this card, 
this just seems like a, another redundant ritual effect to help you sort of combo off with those commanders. And I think it could be less useful in those types of decks. Yeah, I totally agree. I think using this as a ritual is hilarious, and I highly support anyone wanting to do that. But we are in the multicolor cards now. It's a lot of sagas. <laughs> so... This is Blood Sky Massacre. This is a three mana enchantment, one black red for this saga. The chapter one is create a two three red demon berserker creature token with menace. Chapter two, whenever a berserker attacks this turn, you draw a card and lose a life. Chapter three, add red for each berserker you control. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Uh, so this is a rare saga. And I think it's pretty good. It just doesn't really have a home at this point, I would say. Yeah, that's where I'm at with this as well. There's so many tribal promises scattered throughout this set, and I just don't think we're going to get the commanders that really pay them off, unfortunately. So if a red-black berserker can commander were to arise, this would be perfect for it. As it stands, I think your best option is just going to be like, vile smasher plus maybe some other partner with a green color identity that'll get you like 99 percent of berserkers i mean so you can like build the berserker list you're just gonna have a lot of games where you don't draw the right payoffs you don't draw your blood sky massacre or your lovisa and when that happens your deck just is gonna feel like a pile of draft chaff that is something that I learned like prepping for this episode is how many Berserkers are just draft chaff. I just really was not aware of that. Like there's a few that stood out in my mind, but looking, there's just a lot of like two twos with a keyword ability for two or three mana, and you're like, What do you what do you want me to do with this again? Like put it put it in a list. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of feeling bad about not having anywhere to play it. Oh god, my heart. <laughs> I know. This is Furge's Retribution. This is four mana for a saga, one white, white, black. Chapter one, create a four, four white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance. Chapter two, until end of turn, angels you control gain tap, destroy target creature with power less than this creature's power. Chapter three, angels you control gain double strike until end of turn. Yeah, I'll just let you... <laughs> lament if you are feeling inclined yeah oh god oh, that's so painful like we don't really have the, the closest thing to like a tribal commander we have for black white angels is kalia but like it's unfortunate that kalia doesn't work incredibly well with all these like enchantments we're getting in this set that reward angels like she can't drop this in she doesn't really interact with your angel tokens and also like some of these things just don't work great. Like, okay, angels you control gain double strike until end of turn, but that happens at the beginning of your main phase. And so any angel you drop in off of Kalia is not going to get the double strike buff. It's just like, we so desperately need a commander for black, white angels that just has more synergy with what this tribe is trying to do. Uh, I mean, you could still do it. You could put in like, uh, like a Liesa deck or a Selenia deck or or just try to make Kalia work. It's just really unfortunate that I, I don't feel we're getting the support for this tribe that we were promised by all these these effects. Yep. <laughs> I really, I think you just hit it on the head there. Yeah, this card is like cool as heck. It just, 
doesn't have really any synergy with with what's going on currently in for the angel tribal commanders although god i I really do love that like so many of the angel token generation in this set makes angels with vigilance and so that Mm -hmm. plays in perfectly to this like granting them a tap ability that's really sweet so this is herald unites the elves this is a four mana enchantment two black green Chapter one, mill three cards. You may put an elf or Tyvar card from your graveyard onto the battlefield. Chapter two, put a plus one plus one counter on each elf you control. Chapter three, when an elf you control attacks this turn, target creature and opponent controls gets minus one minus one until end of turn. I mean, I'll say this really quick. I think you can just do all of these things better already. I don't think you need like one enchantment doing all three of these things for this rate. Elf lists are kind of especially black green elf lists already kind of are at a premium for space and putting a card that does three things kind of mediocre into the list is not something I'd be super interested in. Maybe I'm maybe you do need something like this because you're so tight on space, but I doubt it. I think you'll just be better off playing more elves and elf synergies. Yeah, I'm on board with you. I think that if you want to recur stuff in a black color identity, you can do it way better than this. If you want to pump things like plus one plus one is not going to do it like you're going to be way better off if you're activating an Azuri or something or if you're playing like a, a crater hoof behemoth there's you've, you've as you said you've got better options for all of these things kind of a miss for me but that's okay so this is the bears of Litjara, one green blue for a enchantment saga the first chapter is create a 2-2 blue shapeshifter creature token with changeling. The second chapter is any number of target shapeshifter creatures you control have base power and toughness 4-4. And the final chapter is choose up to one target creature or planeswalker. Each creature with power 4 or greater you control deals damage equal to its power to that permanent. So this is pretty interesting. It's, uh, I mean, it's a changeling. It's also a buff for your changelings, and it is a removal spell. And at first I was a little low on this because I was thinking like, well, first off, like there aren't a lot of just straight blue green commanders that are looking for changelings. The commanders that are interested in this are almost entirely five color. And I was thinking like, well, with the amount of like competition among all of the five color commanders looking for changelings, like a Reaper King has nearly 30 options that are cheaper or just better in some way. But this kind of has grown on me over time. Yeah, its base case is like a gray ogre, but a three cost four four becomes more attractive and like the removal spell on top. I think this is going to push this above. I think I would potentially run this over like maybe even some of the two CMC changelings just because of all the additional value tacked onto it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I really like this card. Just from a design standpoint and a flavor standpoint, I think this really like tells a cool story, uh, which is the whole point of sagas. But I am going to be looking for places to play it just because of that, just because it, it just seems like it's doing so much for not that much mana. And kind of all of it is things that I'm into. So going and turning all your like 1-1 one, one and 1-3 one, and 2-2 two, two changelings into 4-4s four, if you do have like a board going, that also seems pretty good and pretty strong so um yeah i'm gonna just be on the lookout for where to play this card because it looks awesome 
So this next card is Battle of Frost and Fire. It is three blue-red for an enchantment saga. The first chapter is Battle of Frost and Fire deals four damage to each non-giant creature and each planeswalker. The second chapter is Scry 3. And the third chapter is whenever you cast a spell with converted mana cost five or greater this turn, draw two cards, then discard a card. What are your thoughts on this card? So I really like this card just on the surface. I think that this would be really cool in a giant list if only we we got an actual giant list. I think the fact that this doesn't trigger Agar, that's a shame. He specifically says like giants and instants and sorceries. So the fact that this comes in, deals four damage to a bunch of non-giants. Does not trigger him, unfortunately. Does not trigger him, kind of sucks. The Scry 3 is good. It like means that you're going to hit your land drop or your find the giant that you're going to play on your part three where you get like even more rewards for casting like high cmc spells but i don't know where i'm playing this right now you know yeah i thought when i saw this i thought for certain like okay clearly the giant the blue red giant tribal commander is going to have like a cost reduction component because like if you say giants cost two less to cast or something like a la stink drinker bandit or whatever then you can get multiple of then you can cast like multiple five CMC spells for three mana each and, and get this trigger multiple times. As it stands, like in what deck are you gonna have ten mana open to to get multiple triggers off of this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I mean, yeah, there's some things you can do with like Delve or but I just I just don't see the commander that wants all of these modes. Yeah, I agree. It does not currently exist. I can imagine one that exists, but I do not see it with my eyes currently. This next card is a land, but it is a like multicolor land, so we're going to talk about it. This is Axgard Armory. It is a land. It enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for a white, and it has one red, red, white tap. Sacrifice Axgard Armory. Search your library for an aura and or equipment card. Reveal them, put them in your hand, then shuffle your library. So there's been a lot of chatter over this card. There's a lot of people who are debating over whether (laughs) this is good or not. Some people think it's insane. Some people are like, wow, you draw two cards in Boros. I'm not very high on this card. I'm in the same place, but go ahead. Yeah, it just seems like Boros has one of the hardest times with mana. So I know this is, quote, free to run because it's a land, but it's a tap land, and then it costs five, basically, to draw two cards. And yes, they're specific cards, but you're you're drawing them. You don't get to put the aura on the creature. You don't get to put the equipment into play. You don't even get to equip it for free. And let's say the worst case scenario happens. You pay five at the end of someone's turn. You search for the, the two cards. You start your turn. They're cheap. You, you drop them down. You put them on your commander. You get in there and then they just terminate your commander <laughs> after you sacked a land and like invested your entire turn into like suiting up your guy. That seems god awful. Yeah. So I'm just not really feeling this one in particular. I can imagine a list that might want it but I am like if there's a specific aura or equipment that you combo with or something like that, and this is just another way to get that. Sure, whatever. But if I'm just putting this in a deck for value, I'm not super high on it. 
like my favorite ways to search for equipment and auras are just incredibly, incredibly cheap. Like open the armory costs two, steel shapers gift costs one, stoneforge mystic costs two. Spending five mana and sacrificing a land is just way, way more than I am willing to do. I don't think I'm going to be running this card, especially in a color identity like this one that is already likely going to be falling behind on mana. So spending a bunch of it and sacrificing a land are way bigger costs than they would be for like a green something deck. Uh, This is part of a cycle. Uh, All of the realms got a card. Uh, We're not going to talk about all of the cards, but I think there's one more that you wanted to talk about. So yeah, this is Litjara Mirror Lake. This is a land. It enters tapped. It taps for a blue. And it has two green, green, blue. So five mana. Tap, sacrifice Litjara Mirror Lake. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control. Except it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. You may activate this ability only anytime you can cast a sorcery. Makes a clone for you. Yeah, I think that... Playing a, a tap land is not ideal, but I think there are going to be some lists that are interested in this. There are decks like Yerok or, say, Rune that just play a lot of ETB creatures, and so this is going to have additional value in those lists relative to just a random blue-green list. One last thing I want to say about Lajara uh, Mirror Lake is there also are a couple commanders that themselves have etb have like powerful etb triggers so i could see myself running this in like a prime speaker zagana list or potentially in a um, tishana voice of thunder list where yeah i'm going to be sacrificing a land and paying a bunch of mana but wow am i going to be drawing a lot of cards by doing so yeah no i definitely agree with that or if you have like a something that you want to die you have a roalisk out you have a Kago the Tide Star, like something like that seems like not a bad deal just to get another one, get this like high impactful trigger going and kind of still leave you with a creature to continue playing the game with. Yes. Oh, also, uh, Karuga the Macro Sage is like another Simic commander with that just draws a billion cards when it enters a battlefield. So, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, there's a couple places for this card. If, I always forget that Karuga's a dinosaur. It's just, <laughs> there's so many things are dinosaurs in that set, and it just didn't matter. So, I just don't think of them as dinosaurs, but I know. Um, that's neither here nor there. So, the last one, this one is Port of Carfell. This is the blue black land. It uh, enters tap, taps for blue, and has three blue black black. So, six mana. You can tap, sacrifice Port of Carfell, mill four cards, then return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Um, this is just free. That's really the big reason why I wanted to talk about this. There's a ton of blue-black X lists that mill themselves. This is just another way to like keep recurring creatures when like you've had to pitch your hand. It is just free. So if you are a list that mills itself, that discards cards a lot, that is black-blue, maybe you're playing some like Leviathans or something, who knows. There you go. Here's a really inexpensive way to make sure you always get to do your game plan. Yeah. This also just like imagine you're running a Phoenix God of Deception and you like assemble the the Eater of the Dead combo and just completely mill yourself out like you could have this card in your mana base getting you the Thassa's Oracle to win the game. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a lot harder to interact with. It, also, yeah, the fact that it's just an ability and not a spell, that's actually a plus for me. Just something to mention, something to highlight. I, I don't think this was going to slip by too many people, but I probably will end up playing it. It's <laughs> definitely a neat card. So now we have some artifacts. Okay, uh, this first one is Bloodline Pretender. Three mana for a 2-2 artifact creature shapeshifter. It has Changeling, and as it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Whenever another creature of the chosen type enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter, put a plus one plus one counter on Bloodline Pretender. So this is a, an easy inclusion in a lot of the lists that are most interested in Changelings. You definitely put it in Unesh, so it's a one mana mini factor fiction. In Rin and Seri, it's going to make you both a dog token and a cat token. Lathless, the dragon tribal commander, Ayula, Atlapalani eggs. There's just plenty of decks that can make use of a three mana changeling. So, yep, I don't have anything to add. I totally agree. <laughs> um, this next one is, uh, <laughs> is uh, this is Cosmos Elixir. This is a four mana artifact. At the beginning of your end step, draw a card if your life total is greater than your starting life total. Otherwise, you gain two life. Do you wanna? Do you wanna say anything about this? I'll just say that I don't think this is an awesome reward for life gain the the aggro that it draws is going to outweigh the benefits that you get off of it because it has the potential to draw you cards when you reach that threshold like you are incentivizing everyone to attack you because it's like well i could attack you know player a who i get really nothing from attacking him or this player b has a cosmos elixir and if i don't control their life total then they will eventually draw a card. So the choice is easy. Yeah, this card really makes me miss one of my like old casual 60 card decks, which was built around Searing Meditation. And for years, I've really wanted a commander that was like Searing Meditation geared for the commander format somehow. Um, what the Searing Meditation was, was uh, an old Boros enchantment. It was one red, white. Whenever you gain life, you can pay two to shock something. It was super fun to play in casual 60 card because you could recumbent bliss someone's creature on your upkeep, like shock something. It, it was like just a blast to play, and, and it really incentivized little life gain increments so you could get as many triggers as possible, as opposed to just like really cranking out how much life you gain. And the reason why I say that when I look at Cosmos Elixir is that the fail case of gaining two life is so much worse than drawing a card that unless I had something where I could turn that two life into like virtual cards somehow, like with Searing Meditation, I just don't think I'll ever want to play this card. Because <laughs> like you said, it's going to draw aggro. More of the time than not, you're going to just be gaining the two life and kind of getting that booby prize. And that sucks unless you have some way to actually utilize that. So if there was a commander that incentivized life gain triggers in like an actual good positive sense i would be more inclined to play with this card but we don't have that currently so kind of just a miss for me at this point yeah this next one's red um so this is scorn effigy this is a two three scarecrow for three mana it's an artifact creature so it's all generic and it has foretell of zero so you can pay two to put it face down in the foretell zone and then whenever you want just kind of pop them on out there for zero mana but it will not at instant speed obviously but that's pretty cool this just seems like the perfect scarecrow for reaper king like 
the ability to foretell it in your early turns and then being able to play like Reaper King on turn five and immediately follow it up with score and epigy is great. I'm really into that. This just seems like, yeah, one of the one of the best scarecrows in that list. I yeah, just completely agree. I think this is a cool card. I think this will do a lot of cool things in a bunch of formats, and I'm just happy it exists. I'm just happy to see cool scarecrows, period. Like regardless of Reaper King, I think Scarecrow is like such a cool creature type. Yes. I, it's like there's so much resonance that they could do with it that I'm hoping we get something that's a little less generic value like Reaper King is one day. Oh god. I there was like a dagger thrust in my heart when Mark Rosewater said that there was initially like a scarecrow tribal theme in Shadows of Her Innistrad, and it's like why, why could did this not happen? Hopefully if Innistrad gets two sets this year, they'll find some room for it. Yes. I, I'm you know, fingers crossed, I am praying to the dark gods of Innistrad. All right. I think we can move on to the next card though. Is Tyrite Sanctum. It's a land that taps for a colorless. And it has two tap target legendary creature becomes a god in addition to its other types. Put a plus one plus one counter on it. And then four tap sacrifice Tyrite Sanctum. Put an indestructible counter on target god. There's certainly a lot of like fun, flavorful things you can do with this. Like Bibblethip becoming a god is pretty funny. Yeah, that is pretty funny. (laughs) But in terms of like mechanics, being a god doesn't currently mean anything. But this is going to be useful for like adding counters to your Mowu or your Marwin. I don't know if it's worth it to like go through the effort of like making something a god and making it, it indestructible. I mean, like the opportunity cost to run this is pretty low, but that's also like eight mana compared to something like a dark steel plate or some other indestructible granting effect. Yeah. Is this worth it in everything tribal or is that mana base too restrictive? Oh no, it I don't think it you would want this. I, I think Yeah. Like Mutavault is like a huge concession. Just yeah. <laughs> that cannot support a lot of colorless lands. Yeah, I'm I might consider running it in like a Diao Chan or a Jaya Ballard list. Something that like, you know, if it becomes indestructible, the game plan completely changes. And just not having and and not really expecting to pull it off very often. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and that brings us to our last card for the day. Um, so this is a translation. So uh, please bear with us as eventually we will get the actual uh, English name. But uh, it is roughly translated to Valley of Wandering Glow. And it is a snowland. It enters the battlefield tapped. And as it enters the battlefield, you choose a color. Valley of Wandering Glow taps for a mana of the chosen color. Snow 5C land just kind of goes in any multicolor snow list. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at with it. I would run this in Jorn. Definitely would not put this in any multicolor deck that didn't care about snow, just because it's much worse than like an Evolving Wilds or a Terramorphic Expanse. But it, yeah, there, there is a, a place for it in Commander, and that is in Jorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's at least one. Yeah, I do like that they realized that people are going to be wanting to play these multicolor snow things, and to be able to put some cards in that are not basics to like kind of help make that happen. Jorn is so much better off with the duels in this than he would have been if it was just like, all right, get your far seeks. Not really much to say about this. It uh, exists, and that sure is something. 
Well, we've got a few more days of spoilers left. So this next episode is going to be our wrap up and we'll have our predictions. We'll also check in on our the predictions we made during our Commander Legends set review. So definitely stay tuned for that one. And of course, if any of you have uh, any alternative uses for cards we've talked about today that we didn't think of, or if you think there's any cards that we missed that are worth mentioning, please let us know and we'll have be happy to roll that into our next episode. Well, with that, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Eamon, Kevin, Matthew, Jamie, Russell, Kaidel, and Jeremy. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr. And Zach is at fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln continental by entropy. And you can check them out on SoundCloud until next time. We're going back to the drawing board.